refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Well, it's good to be home. It was nice just to sleep in my own bed for crying out loud. John, isn't it sometimes you just get home and that's, that's like the highlight of the whole thing is you just lay down in your own bed and you go, ah, oh, ah, oh. you know, it's it just incredible and uh, wonderful to be home this morning. Praise the Lord. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. It is a good day. got to be kidding me. <laughs> all, of a, all of a sudden, it wanted a password this morning. I don't know what that's all about. There we go. All right. Today, I wanted to talk. It's, it's, it's a dedication morning. So uh, in case you hadn't just noticed that, you got some a lot of kids here today, as you notice when they came up to the front, and you got people with babies here today and kids here today to be dedicated, you know. And uh, so I wanted to talk to us as a house, not just to the parents and not just to the grandparents, but I, I believe this message this morning is for everybody here today. I want to talk to you about kingdom expansion, but I want to talk to you about what will our children inherit? What will our children inherit? I think this is a vitally important question for everybody to be able to answer here this morning. But you know, before we do that, let's just take a little Bennett tour here this morning. There he is. That was what he was doing all the time. So how many pictures did you say you took, Bennett? Over 500? About 500, right? So I had to take a picture of Bennett taking pictures. I mean, that was... (laughs) That was like a recurring theme. Every time I turned around, it was like, snap, snap, snap. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to get a picture of Bennett taking pictures. I took several pictures of Bennett taking pictures. So it was pretty fun. And uh, I wanted you to know that Bennett made a new friend when he was out there. And uh, (laughs) uh, how how many have ever been to Banff before? Let me see your hands. So there's there's like a candy store there, and they got this big bear in it. And so... uh, we got a picture of Bennett with his new friend there the, when we were at the shop. Then we also want you to know Bennett became a cowboy. Look at that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Sherry said, give our guest references to who Bennett is. He was the one that was here two weeks ago. Bennett, just stand up and wave at everybody. He's here this morning staying with John and Linda. Bennett is our missionary in Haiti. And uh, Bennett and I went out west last week and visited other churches in the Ripple Network, and so it was awesome to make new partners and new friends. Because I learned from Bennett that, uh, that life moves at the speed of friendship. So I learned that from Bennett. So we got to build more friendships, amen? Yes. Praise the Lord. Now, when we were in Westlock, Westlock, uh, he just, they just really opened their hearts and took Bennett in, and they've decided to add you know, him as a missionary, and they're going to give 2% of their general budget is going to go to Bennett. So, you know, the next morning we get up and Bennett, I said, what, what were you praying for this morning? Bennett said, I was praying that Westlock would have a million dollars this year. <laughs> so anyway, on the uh, Sunday night, or was it Monday? Monday night, I think, I had everybody pray at Westlock Church praying over Bennett. So 
look at the lineup of people. They're going all the way down the side. They're all waiting to speak a word over Bennett, to pray over him, to bless him. We had people that sang songs over him, uh, prophesied, blessed him, spoke into his life. And he just got to receive the whole time. He got to just stand there and just be poured into. It was absolutely a wonderful, wonderful time. And that's how the kingdom of God works. Amen? And uh, so it was a real delight for us to be able to gather together and the Westlock Church, uh, and, and I did give Brian a great big smooch from you, Barry. I want you to know that. I, I laid one right on him in front of everybody, and uh, on his yeah, on his cheek, okay. yeah, just to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on his cheek, buddy. <laughs> Kept it PG, just, you know, put it on his cheek. All right, so anyway, I just want to say thank you to everybody for supporting us, and allowing me to be away for another week to make these connections. It was wonderful. And the Westlock Church and others in the West are uh, planning to put a team together to go down and work with Bennett. So it's going to be awesome. And we're really excited about it. Well, today, like I said, I, I want to talk about uh, kingdom expansion and what will our children inherit. Before I do, can I just say that Lily Faith Williams was born last night. Dan, yeah, Dan and L.A.'s little, little gift came last night. About 10 o'clock, came at 7 pounds, 12 ounces, was it? seven pounds, 15 ounces. So she's ready to go. All right. She'll come out of the womb already eating pablum and, you know, chewing on cookies and just about anything else. Uh, so praise the Lord. So if you get a chance to pray for uh, Dan and LA, just for them to get home quick, I'm sure they're excited. And uh, that is absolutely awesome. So, you know, when I challenged or got this message from the Lord, there was a question that I uh, was asked when I was at conference by the pastor from Glad Tidings, right, was uh, Mr. Mr. Moore. What was this for? Andy Moore. And he asked this question, and, uh, you know, and I, the question took my hold of my spirit, and, uh, and I thought to myself, that's exactly the question that the church needs to ask itself as we talk about inheritance. And uh, so he asked the question, he said, is the kingdom of God about preservation? Is it about preservation? Or is the kingdom of God about innovation? Which one is it about? Preservation or is it about innovation? And we have to decide what kind of people we're going to be. Are we going to be preservationists or are we going to be innovators? Are we going to be preservationists or are we going to be innovators? And you might be saying, well, what do you mean by those two things? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to explain that this morning, all right? So when we talk about uh, being preservationists or being part of a preservation movement within Christianity, what are we talking about? What do we mean when we talk about being a, a preservation movement. Well, first thing you have to understand, preservationists are motivated by fear. They're motivated by fear. They're afraid. They're, they're, they want to preserve things the way they are because they're afraid that those things, if we don't preserve them, they may actually fall apart. And, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can find all kinds of critics of things that are going on in the kingdom of God. You can find people who will criticize Bethel, who will criticize every evangelist, who will criticize every uh, you know, preacher, who will criticize every megachurch pastor. You'll find no shortage of critics. And here's the thing. Most of those critics are not doing it just because they have some kind of uh, uh, an antagonistic spirit. They're doing it because they really think they're doing the body of Christ a service. They really believe that they are standing up for the faith preserving the doctrines of the faith and standing strong against all of these things that are happening. 
I heard one of them say, did you know that the Charismatics and Pentecostals now make up one billion Christians? As if that was a bad thing. As if another billion souls in the kingdom was a bad thing. And I was like, yes, actually, I am aware of that, and I'm very excited about it. Thank you very much. Uh, and so then he went on and on and on in a tirade about how we have to stop the flow of, of souls into these charismatic and Pentecostal churches and yada, yada, yada. And, and it's rooted in fear, a fear that somehow we're taking over. Well, we're not taking over. The Lord's taking over. It's his kingdom, amen? And it's not about one denomination or people or group. No, it's about growing the kingdom of God, amen? I don't give a rip what denomination you're part of. It makes no difference to me at all. I just want to see the kingdom of God grow, Amen? I want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and know him as their, their king, their champion, their deliverer, the one who brings them life and freedom and liberty. That's what I want people to know. If you're on board with that, who cares what denomination you're part of? Amen? You're on board with that? Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's rooted in fear, yet the scripture says God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's right. Uh, soundness of mind. That is what God has given us. The spirit of fear is not from him. So if you find yourself compelled to bring a defense because you're afraid, you know, then just go to God. Because I think God is bigger. God is bigger. Some pretty large movements have tried to distort the word of God and truth in eras past, and God's word remains. Amen? And God is able to defend himself. Someone say Amen. So, you know, we got to step away. If it looks like a preservationist movement, then you got to step away. So when we get rooted in this fear, there's two things that we get stuck on that we need to watch out for, all right? And uh, the first one is that we get stuck on past glories. Now, i got to tell you a story, and it's so awesome I can tell you this story this morning because the person whose fault it is is here, all right? I was in Bible college, and... Uh, we had a new president come to our Bible college, and his name was Robert Tatinger. And when, when Brother Tatinger came as the president of the Bible college, right, the first week he was there, we had a chapel service, and it just broke out in Holy Spirit. Do you remember that, uh, brother? It was fantastic. Can we just welcome uh, Robert Shirley Tatinger here with us this morning? Praise the Lord. Come on. Amen. And these folks are just wonderful pillars in our, uh, in our movement, and we're so graciously happy to have them here today, uh, part of this dedication service. And, uh, you know, they have a little great-granddaughter being dedicated here today. So this is exciting stuff for them. And uh, so anyway, they were, they were here at the Bible school, and, and the Lord just broke out, and it was amazing. Uh, they had, we had to close classes down. People were in the chapel 24 hours a day praying, and God was doing things. People were getting set free from all kinds of stuff and habits and things. But then myself and Sherry's brother and another guy named Norb Kohler, about midnight, we went to the, to the, to the dean of students, uh, Brother Bill Morrill, and we said, listen, we really believe God's calling us to go out and to evangelize at midnight on like a Friday night. And, you know, and we're supposed to be in the dorms and everything else by 11 o'clock at night, right? Lights off and being good boys and girls in sleep, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. So uh, anyway, but he said, you know what? I believe you're supposed to go. And we said, all right. So we leave and we have no idea what we're going to do. We start walking down the street, uh, down George Street or Water Street. 
And uh, we're walking down there, and we hear music coming out of this house. We think, this is obviously where God's leading us. So we walk up to the door, and we knock on the door, and this guy who's like three-quarters cut, he answers the door, and he says, who are you? So I told him who I was, and I was from the college, and we're having a move of God there. And he goes, go away, man. And he slams the door, right? I'm like, hmm. Okay, now what, Lord? So we're starting to feel a little you know, less sure that we'd heard from God here. So we, uh, we walk, we see, we see the donut, the country-style donut shop down the corner. Do you folks remember that? So we see that donut shop. We said, obviously, you can never go wrong with the donut. So we start heading down there. We get to the donut shop, and we walk in, and uh, we sit down. And as soon as I, I, I walk up to the counter to get a copy, I turn around, Sherry's brother's already sitting down with this guy. Uh, and this is before Sherry and I, uh, uh, I think before we'd even met. Were you there that year? You came, okay, so it was before we had, you know, I'd let her run her fingers through my hair. So let's just say. <laughs> she was a hairdresser, so she cut all, all the guy's hair in college. But uh, anyway, it just sounds cooler when I say it that way. But anyway, so, so anyway, uh, I enjoyed it so much I married her so I could have it as an ongoing experience. But uh, so anyway, her brother, he just, he just sits down with this guy and we're like, oh my word, you know, he's already talking to this guy. And we're like, oh, that was quick. And then we're like, now what do we do? So Norb and I, we look around, there's only two other people in the entire coffee shop, and there's these two girls sitting over there. And, uh, and they happen to be sitting beside each other in a booth, which was, you know, we thought, that's convenient. Now we can sit across from them. So we grabbed our coffee. We said, do you mind if we sit here? And they're like, no, not at all. You know, so we sat down. We just started talking to them about what God was doing. And we look over, and Kevin is, is talking to this guy. The guy that he's talking to is weeping. And uh, just tears coming down his face, and we, we share with these girls, and they start talking about how empty the uh, campus life is at, at Trent, because they're, they're Trent students, and how they just come from a party, and so we invited them to church on the Sunday, they came, they went forward, gave their lives to Christ, the guy that Kevin was talking to w- had just packed up his car and was leaving his wife, and when Kevin talked to him, he, he was repenting before the Lord, and he went back to his wife and was reconciled, it was absolutely awesome, amen? Now... It was one of the most spectacular times that I've ever experienced in my life. And uh, when we have those, you know, times in our life, when those things happen to us, it's easy to get stuck on it. It's easy to think that this is the way God's got to do it from now on. Right? That every time there's a move of God, this is what it's going to look like. How many know that? And it's really easy to have that happen. Yet the Bible says in Isaiah 43, 19, see, I am doing what? A new thing. I believe God's constantly doing a new thing. God is constantly reworking things. So you might ask yourself, well, why is that? Why is it important that God do something new? Why is it important that God does something new? Well, there's, I think, two sound reasons why. First of all, we do not live in the same world today as we did yesterday. All it takes is one bombing, one accident, one earth-shattering event and the entire world we live in has changed. How many remember that you used to be able to go to an airport and security was just a matter of they open up your bag and you walk through and you're on the plane. You remember that? I remember flying when people smoked on the airplane. You guys remember? Uh, now we're, we're herded like cattle and we all have to go through this sniffer machine or we have to, you know, your bags are checked, you're taking off your shoes, your belt, your pants fall down. I mean, it's terrible. All the things you have to go through. Why? Because one event, one event, 9-11 changed the whole world forever. 
You see what I mean? And we don't live in the same world that we used to live in. And so why is God doing something new? He's doing something new because the world we live in is constantly changing. It's constantly changing. And we need to speak the language of every generation. Dennis Peacock says you need to learn to speak fish. You need to learn to speak fish. Any fishermen here this morning? Any people like to fish? Right? So if you're a fisherman, then you know in order to catch fish, you got to know the fish's habits. you got to know their habitat. you got to know what they like to eat, what they like to strike. you got to know all these things, what kind of water temperature, shallows, deep, whatever they like. you got to learn to speak fish. Right? And it's true in the kingdom. If you want to actually have an effective time witnessing to people, then you got to know how to speak their language. You have to do it. And, and the language of our culture is constantly changing. Right? As Mark indicated this morning, I'm, in my generation, maybe it was said one way, but he's going to say it another way. I happen to be right, he's wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> but we need to learn to speak the language of a generation, and if we don't know how to, then we get left behind. So first, we need to recognize we don't live in the same world as yesterday, but we also have to recognize that God is not in the habit of doing the same thing over and over again. It's just not his way. You might say, well, why not? I like it when things are happening the same way. I like to go to the same coffee shop, order the same thing. I like to do this. But you notice, when you go to the coffee shop, they have a huge menu. Why? Because not everybody drinks the same thing you do. Because God made all these people and we're all different. Right? And God has not made a whole 30 or 40 berries. Praise God for that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> He hasn't repeated himself and, and, and made it. No, every time he makes somebody, he breaks the mold, right? And so I, I remember reading a quote by Lewis that explained it better than I could. He said, he, said this, he said, it would be rash to say that there is any prayer which God never grants. But the strongest candidate is the prayer we might express in the single word, encore. And then he says, and how should the infinite repeat himself? All space and time are too little for him to utter himself in them even once. Whoo! Do you get that this morning? The whole universe is, as big as it is, is too small for God to express himself even once. Because he's the infinite God. He is the almighty God. He is the immeasurable God. Someone say amen. amen. And so the reason he doesn't have to repeat himself is because he's always got something new up his sleeve. What are you saying? New doctrines? No. I'm talking about a new manifestation, a new illustration, a new uh, way of expressing the truths that never change in his word. That's what God wants us to be about. We have to constantly be asking God to do something new so that we can tell this ever-changing world about Jesus Christ and his wonderful, wonderful power. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. i got to move along. Not a lot of time here this morning. but So we get stuck on past glories, but we also get stuck on past hurts. What keeps us from moving forward? We get, what keeps us as a preservationist people? Past glories and past hurts. Has anyone here ever been hurt before? I don't mean fell down, broke your knee, or scraped your, you know, your, your shins, or broke an elbow or a finger. I'm talking about emotional hurt. Anybody? Let me ask another question. How many have ever been hurt by somebody in the body of Christ? Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. 
Why does it seem like it's mostly? Is it because Christians are so heartless? Is that why? Why does it seem that you get hurt more by people in the body than by people in the world? Why does that seem to be the case? Well, I can explain it to you this morning. First of all, it's because we forget the church is filled with imperfect people just like you and me. We're not people who have, who have been made perfect. We're just people who are being worked on to be perfected. Amen? We're not complete works of God, but we're being completed by God. So in that sense, every one of us here has the capacity to offend somebody else. We have the ability to hurt another brother or sister. Every one of us. Some of you might even be offended by my words this morning. You know, but you have the power and the capacity to hurt other people. And so we have to understand, the reason it seems like we get hurt more by people in the church than we do in the world is because we forget that the church is filled with people who are just like you with the capacity to hurt. But it's also because the hurts are the result of our own expectations. We expect more of people in the body of Christ. Therefore, when they don't live up to our expectations, we are hurt. We're let down. We're disappointed. We're confused. But I thought they were supposed to be a Christian. Mm. They might be saying the same thing about you. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Right? And what happens is we get, we get this uh, effect taking place because we had expectations that weren't met. I would submit to you this morning that 90% of the disappointments in your life are because of unmet expectations. And the unmet expectations, the majority of the time, are the byproduct of unrealistic expectations. Things that you had no right to expect of another person. Did you know I have no expectation that my wife should make me happy? I don't. It's my responsibility, and I'm in charge of my own happiness. I don't expect her to make me happy, although I know I make her deliriously happy. Because <laughs> that isn't our job description. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? If you get into marriage and you expect your spouse to be the one who completes me, do you know what I mean? If that's your anticipation, you are in for a world of hurt. Because it's not possible for them to meet those expectations. You need to find within your relationship with the Lord, you need to find your joy, your strength, and your happiness. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of times my wife makes me happy. She does. I just have relieved her of the expectation that that's her job. Am I making any sense to anybody? We need to free people from that. Now, here's the thing. We have higher expectations of those we love. And that's why the body of Christ hurts us. Because we've placed higher expectations on them than we have the people we work with, than we have of the people we go to school with, the people that we, we bump into in the shopping mall, the guy that cuts us off in traffic, you know, or yells at us or whatever. We don't really care. Runs off us like water off a duck's back. But somebody that we love, when they hurt us, well, that's a different thing altogether. And that's why hurt seems magnified in the body of Christ, because we love those people. Are you hearing me this morning? And the closer someone is to me, the greater their capacity to hurt me. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? And so these past hurts have the potential to derail us in the kingdom of God. 
And if we want to hand a proper inheritance to our children, we've got to get past the past glories and the past hurts. We've got to stop being a people trying to preserve what was and ask God what he wants to do today. Hello? Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? Praise the Lord. All right, so we must let go of past hurts for the same reason we need to get beyond past glories because you cannot clearly see where you're going if you're always looking back. Are you hearing me this morning? Well, I remember 35 years ago how we just used to come into church and there was no kids running around and everybody was respectful and we sat down in the chair and, and old brother so-and-so, he had the same tie on every week and we cracked open a hymn book and we sang that song, you know, and it was just glorious, Pastor. It was glorious. I'm sure it was. I have every belief that it was. I'm not going to argue that point. It'd be a waste of my time. But that was then. This is now. And if you are pastoring a church and all the young people and the millennials are looking at you with a blank stare on their face every week, you're doing something wrong. Well, what if the old people are looking with a blank stare on their face? I'll talk about that in a minute. I'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so not a preservation movement. God wants it to be an innovation movement. Now... You might be saying, you know, uh, what's that going to look like? I'm not going to give you the 12 easy steps to being an innovator this morning or anything like that. I'm not going to talk to you about any of that kind of stuff at all. That's not my point. What I want you to do is just to think about that new thing, right? Uh, Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting those things which are behind. Doing what to those things which are behind? Forgetting. Paul had to forget his past pedigree, how successful he was as a Pharisee, all of the things that he did in the past. He had to let those things go and recognize that he was carving, carving out a new path and a new future for himself and even for the church of Jesus Christ. And so he had to let it go. He had to let it go. So we honor the past. We honor the past. But how do we do that? By prioritizing the future. That's how we do it. We honor the past by prioritizing the future. Putting the future first. Uh, we were blessed at Converse to have a gentleman named Robert Ketterling who was speaking from Minnesota. He has a church there of around 10,000 people. And uh, they have been on a, a campaign for the last eight, nine years, I think it was, uh, of encouraging people beyond their tithes and offerings because he says, our church operates on, on, on the tithes and offerings. It's how we pay salaries, keep the lights on, all that kind of stuff. But then they set a goal of, of what they call kingdom builders, of giving to the kingdom beyond tithes and offerings. And it started out their first year, their goal was like, I think, $500,000. They had 480000 come in. Last year, their goal was $6.8 million. And they reached it. And what they do with that money is it's all about advancing the kingdom. They... they what they do is they broke it down so that 50% of that money is about expanding the kingdom in, in their Jerusalem. So it's about planting new congregations, about pouring into their, if they need to upgrade their facility, if they need to do this, they need to do that, uh, if they need to, to minister in the community, do outreaches, evangelism, any of that kind of stuff, that's where half of it. Another 25% goes to overseas missions projects. They're just doing project after project after project. 
But a full 25% of that 6.8 million was used to invest in future generations. A full quarter of it invested in future generations. Over $1.5 million just invested. And we're, you, what does that look like? They were sending 500 youth on the mission field just before he came to our conference, and the church paid for every one of them to go on the mission field. Investing in them as a next generation ministry. Are you hearing me this morning? Because they realize that this is not the church of tomorrow, this is the church today. And we need to invest in them. Woo, getting quiet in here now. See, as soon as it gets close to your wallet, people go, whoa, that's, we're with you, Pastor, we're with you. Whew, how much is that going to cost? So how do we do this? We do this by constantly investing in the next generation. Constantly. Everybody say constantly. 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 Andy uh, Moore said this, and it was profound. He said, uh, how much opportunity should we give to millennials in our church? How much? Then he said this, probably more than we're comfortable with. Probably more than we're comfortable with. In fact, we should give them more opportunity than we're comfortable with and then hold them more accountable than they're prepared for. Isn't that profound? We should give them more opportunity than we're comfortable with. But then we need to hold them more accountable. We need to, to help them in that journey by making and helping them be more accountable than they were probably prepared for. Because a lot of times they're like, yeah, you, just need, you need to give us more responsibility, but they just want to do it exactly the way they think they should without any experience, without any uh, having times when they fell flat in their face. And we need to help them and guide them and give them accountability structures. Not what we do with our own children, right? We, we give them probably a little more freedom than we're comfortable with. Any helicopter parents here this morning need deliverance? Do you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and we, we release them to go out and to, you know, fall down and skin their knees and everything else. But as they get older, we give them higher levels of accountability, right? And we need to do that. Kids need uh, wings and roots. They need the wings to fly, but they need someone to give them roots to hold them accountable. Amen? Praise the Lord. You should write that down. That's pretty good right there. That's pretty good right there. So what do we need to do this morning? To be true innovators, we need to exchange the past glory for future glory. Someone say amen. amen. We need to exchange the past glory for future glory. I believe this is the kingdom of God. We exchange the past glory for future glories. God doesn't have to do it the same way. He's not going to do it the same way. We've already covered that. But we need to be willing to let go of the past so God can do what he wants to do today. If we're holding on to the past, looking in the rearview mirror, we're not going to be able to see what God wants to do today. This is the kingdom of God. I found this quote a few years ago by Gordon Fee, who's a professor at Regent College in Vancouver. And uh, he said this. Good Pentecostal brother. He said, we cannot know anything about Jesus, anything if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. That's strong language, isn't it? I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We've had Jesus without the kingdom of God and therefore have literally done Jesus in. 
So that's why, you know, when you're out evangelizing and talking to somebody and you want to tell them about your faith, you know, I had an evangelist come to town once and we sit down at the restaurant and the waitress comes over and step one, he does great, gets her name. But then he says, do you know who this guy is? And he points at me and she goes, no. Oh, he's a pastor of Desert Stream here in town, you know. And then he goes on and on about how she needs to go to church and, and uh, when was the last time you were at church and you need to go to church and that, well, you'd love it there and blah, blah, blah. That's not how you share your faith. And I saw her as she walked away from the table. He couldn't see her, but I saw her go like this and roll her eyes and walk away. It's totally non-relational. It's not kingdom language at all. They don't give a rip about your church, but they do care about their world. So what you need to do when you're sharing with people, give them a cause. Put something in front of them that they can sink their teeth into. So Bennett and I are on the plane, and we're sitting beside this guy who's from uh, uh, Airdrie, which is just north of Calgary. And he asks us what we're doing. We start talking about rebuilding Haiti. We start talking about well, the things that have happened. And he's keenly interested. He's asking us more questions. He wants to know because people are motivated by a cause. Right. And the cause is the kingdom. Talk about what the kingdom's about. Talk about kingdom expansion. Talk about feeding people, clothing people, educating people, blessing people, encouraging people. And you will have an audience. And then when they find out about that, then the, then the next thing that comes out of mouth is, well, how can I be part of that? You know, we've been thinking that way for a long time. I remember a number of years ago, you know, we were raising money for the Philippines, and we got the, the great idea that we wanted to build houses in the Philippines. And, uh, and so what we did was we put an ad in the newspaper, said, buy a house in the Philippines for $250. That was it. We just, that's all said, and a phone number. We had people from the city call and saying, I can get a house in the Philippines for $250? Yep. You most certainly can. Wow, is it like a timeshare? Nope, nope, not a timeshare. Really? So, so how often can I stay there? Never. <laughs> Pardon? Well, you can't stay there. You're buying it for somebody else to live in because right now they're living in a garbage dump. Oh, okay, I'll take one. <laughs> we had many people call. We ended up raising enough to build 40 houses. People would just say, yeah, I'll take one. People that never darkened the door probably still never came, but they bought a house because there was a cause. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm really running out of time. All right. This is tough. This is tough. Coming off of one month, you haven't been up here. This is tough work. This, this, is, worse than, this is worse than jogging a marathon. I got to tell you right now, Barry. Yeah, clearly. You, you're hearing me? It's worse. Way worse. I've never done a marathon, but I'm sure this is worse. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done one. I'm, I'm sure this is worse. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. <laughs> Everybody stand together with me this morning. If you're over 45 this morning, remember I said I would talk to you, the older folks here this morning? Over 45. Over 45. Over 45, listen to me this morning. Look at that screen. What does it say? It's not about Tammy. <laughs> Barry, play, play right. Okay, what does it say? It's not about me. That doesn't mean you stop innovating. It doesn't mean you stop 
you know, working. It doesn't mean you stop laboring. It doesn't mean you enter into retirement. What it means is that it's not about you anymore. What the church sounds like, looks like, thinks like, operates like, is not about you. It's about another generation that needs Jesus Christ, that needs a cause, that needs purpose, that needs identity, and we're here to invest it in them. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not about you. It's not about me. And that leads me to my next thing that we need to repeat. All right? Has everybody got that one? You got that in your craw? All right. Here's the next part. Everybody say this together. I'm not here to be blessed if you're over 45. I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. Come on. Say it with me. I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. Again, I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. Now, here's the good news. When you, you know, give, the Bible says, and it will back to you, pressed down, shaken together. He says, I'll pour it into your lap. But that only works if you come in here with the attitude, it's not about me. I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. I'm here to be a blessing. Are you hearing me? You know, a lot of the young people are going, yeah, that's right, Pastor. You preach it at those old folks. <laughs> you, know, you know where I learned this from? I learned this from Glenn Shaver. Glenn Shaver taught me this so well. I remember when we started Desert Stream, he was a physics teacher uh, at BCI, and he came to me, and he said, you know, Pastor, he said, would, would, could I convince you to uh, uh, use PCs instead of a Mac? And I'm sharing an office with Sid. We're hardwired to all of his printers and everything. We're all, it's all Mac, right? And I said, uh, no, not very likely. And he said, okay. He left my office, went and bought a Mac, and taught himself how to use it at 72 years of age. Because he understood, it's not about me. I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. And if learning something new is how I become a blessing, then for goodness sakes, learn something new. Because God's doing a new thing. I'm not going to be one of those people sitting around, retired, complaining about the church. I'm going to be one of those people who's retired and other young men and women are coming and asking me questions about the kingdom of God because they recognize that I care about them and that I understand it's not about me and that I'm not here to be blessed, but I am here to be a blessing. And I'm going to impart myself and pour myself out, like Paul said, as a drink offering upon this generation so that they can grow up and, and see the habitation of the Holy Spirit in their land. Amen? I apologize if this is taking a little too long, but i got to make the point. I can't let you go home without getting this into your spirit. Seriously, I can't. And maybe 45 old. Maybe I need to lower it to 40. I don't know. Oh, now you're, ta- now you're stepping on my, my territory, pastor. I was feeling comfortable, but now you dropped it to 40. I'm not comfortable anymore. Well, I- I'm just saying, do we, if we could just understand this principle, even if you're 25, if you can understand this principle, how glorious the kingdom is going to be. Mm. Jesus. My wife handed me this piece of paper. Was this you, hon? Glory. Oh, I was going to say, have you come up with this, hon? 
mm-mm-mm, girl. We're going to go home and talk. All right. <laughs> she said, your hunger needs to be greater than your history. Woo, somebody say amen to that. Your hunger needs to be greater than your history. My hunger is greater than my history. I've been here at Desert Stream since we started. My hunger today is greater than my history. We've had lots of great things happen in the past. Guess what? As Paul said, I consider them all dung for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom of God. More, Lord. Not more of the same. More of something new. Amen? That's what we want. That's what we want. Wow. All right. Everybody, put your hands up in the air this morning. Just lift them up to the Lord. Praise God. Wow. I hope you got this in your spirit this morning. I really do. Because, you know, unlike God, I might repeat myself a few times about it. But <laughs> I think the kingdom moves on this. This is the revelation we need to see God expand his kingdom. There are not enough people that know Jesus in the city of Belleville. We have to show them a cause that causes God's kingdom. And there's so much to do in that. There's room for everybody. There's room for everybody. Father, I just pray today, as we have our hands raised to you, that, Lord, you would make us a blessing. You would make us a blessing. That, Father, the wonderful thing about being made a blessing is I'm never too old to be a blessing. I am never at a place where I'm no longer useful to be a blessing. No matter my circumstance, no matter... Uh, my condition, Lord, I can be a blessing to those around me. And Father, I pray that God, you would help me to understand that even though I'm not here to be blessed, I am here to be a blessing. And that when I pour myself out, Lord, that Father, I will be blessed. But I'll be blessed for a different reason. I'll be blessed in a different way. I'll be blessed because I sought to be a blessing. Father, every time I give, every time I invest, every time I sow, every time I converse with somebody, Father, make me a blessing, I pray today, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise the Lord, hallelujah.